Good morning, Desert Springs Church. Let us stand and hear from God's word together from Psalm 67. And I would invite you to whisper these words with me. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This psalm, like many others, is a prayer. A prayer for God's word, his work, and ultimately his worship to spread to all nations. And part of our work here today is prayer. And part of our work in his mission is prayer. So today we will focus on prayer. And prayer in many forms. Prayer through song prayer through hearing God's word as we just did, prayer through sermon and focused prayer. So while you can't sing in the room today, you can pray. You can pray that God would plant these seeds of truth deep in your hearts and minds. You can pray for those around you. Look around and see those around you and pray for them. Pray for us as we lead. Pray for those at home watching and those that need to hear the gospel. Let us pray together and pray that God would come that he would work here among us. Come thou almighty king Help us thy name to sing Help us to praise Father all glorious For all victorious Come and reign over us Ancient of days
you were looking at the words or listening to the words, that hymn was all about God, the one God, but three in one, three persons. Uh, the first stanza was about the Father, the second about the Son, the third about the Spirit, and then the fourth and final stanza, which we just sang, about all three, active in the world, active in our lives, drawing us to the cross. Yeah. You guys can take a seat. If you are visiting with us uh, this morning, whether it's here in the service live or streamed concurrently, or then we'll record the service and keep it up throughout the week, any of the above, we're so glad that you chose to spend your time uh, with us during this church service, learning more about who God is, who Jesus is. We would love if you're visiting, if you'd reach out to us, we could start any kind of dialogue. With, you could start with a question, a comment. You can do that by emailing us at info at dscabq.com. Again, we'd love to hear from you, and we'll answer back within 24 hours. Love to start some kind of a dialogue. Also, if you've been visiting and you would love to become a member or become more involved or simply learn more about some theology, who Jesus is, what the church is, maybe you're not ready to sign that covenant of fellowship yet, but you'd just like to learn more in an actual class setting. Uh, we're going to start our membership classes up again. We're going to do that here at church as we kind of slowly reopen things through the fall. We will do that in September, September 11th and 12th is a Friday evening and a Saturday up till noon on Saturday, so a half day. Uh, so we'd love to have you join us here at church. You can do that by going to the website, clicking on upcoming, and then scroll down a little bit, you'll see the, uh, the class. We'd ask that you register so we can plan ahead with handouts, booklets, things like that. And then two more things to mention as we continue fellowshipping and and opening up opportunities to learn and to serve and to worship. One is that we just finished up yesterday our Missions Emphasis Week. Uh, for the first time, we did an online auction, not one that was live nor one that was hybrid, all online. We had no idea how that would go. And uh, we're so glad to celebrate that through the auction items and then through online donations, uh, over $10,000 has been raised for, yeah. That is worth not only clapping, but like throwing a party. Uh, we've raised that much, which means we can easily build two wells and provide for purified water in uh, the highlands of Guatemala. That is going to end up benefiting not thousands, but over the years, actually tens of thousands of people, preventing them from getting waterborne diseases, and some, in some cases even dying from that. Uh, and then one more note, starting a week from today, we're going to go back to our nine o'clock time spot for the early service. Uh, we'll keep the second one at 11 for now, but we found that we do have enough time to clean in between the services. And so we know for some families, a little bit hard to get everyone out of bed, breakfasted, clothed, in the car, get here come in and, and uh, sit with the current restrictions. So hopefully that'll ease things up for you and us. So we'll get that word out through email and a number of social media uh, venues. With all that said, our scripture reading for today is 2 Peter chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll start reading at verse 8. And 2 Peter, in this section, is about the second coming of Christ and as we've learned in our sermon series, the current one, 
Much of 2 Thessalonians is about that coming of Christ and how that affects us right now. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now let me pray these last five verses, verses 14 through 18. So please bow your heads with me and let's pray God's scripture back to him and put in one or two pieces of application. Father, help us to wait for these things, to wait for your promise, to wait for the Lord Jesus. Help us to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Help us to count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Perhaps salvation for a dozen or a hundred or a thousand in Port City, North Africa. Perhaps salvation for a thousand in Baja Verapaz, Guatemala. Perhaps salvation for a thousand in this area. Help us, Father, not to get carried away with the error of lawless people and to lose our own stability. Strengthen us by your spirit to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's stand and continue in prayer through song. God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thy arm alone, and our defense is sure.
May God answer that prayer that we just sang, that he would feed us by his word in this hour. You can be seated. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Second Thessalonians, jumping back into this series. If you were watching last week, we started our missions emphasis week, hearing from Mr. G, one of our missionaries in Africa, and Uh, Oh man, I was so blessed by that time in Isaiah 55, and as it turns out in God's providence, the passage that we're now in in 2 Thessalonians is is a great way to end Missions Emphasis Week, and hopefully just feed us and spur us on to a life that emphasizes missions. So this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll be reading the first five verses. Paul writes, finally brothers... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we do pray that, that you would work by your spirit to direct our hearts this morning to your word, and in that we would better understand your love for us and how we ought to love one another, and in your steadfastness, your faithfulness to us, and how we to can be faithful. God, I pray that you would use this time to that end for your glory. Amen. Well, I heard a story once of uh, a pastor who was counseling a couple that had had an older child just go wayward. Um, They had abandoned the faith, and the parents felt like they had done everything that they could. They had made appeals to their child. They had begged them to repent. They had tried to get them counsel and help, and it felt like none of it had worked. And so they were talking to this pastor, trying to get counsel, and they said, well, I guess at this point, the only thing that we can do is pray. And the pastor said, well, that's a good thing, because prayer is actually the best thing that you can be doing. Much of the book of 2 Thessalonians is Paul addressing various issues that this young church was having. And if you remember, when we studied 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul said that he loved this church 
like they were his own children. He said that he, he cared for them like a nursing mother and, and he loved them like a father. And when he was taken away from them, it felt like being bereaved of his children. So these are Paul's spiritual children. He is their spiritual parent and they've got some issues. They're being persecuted for one, but they're also being tempted by false teachers. They have misunderstandings about theology. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, they are also confused to the point that some in the church are actually no longer working. They're, they're being idle. And so Paul has written this letter to address these specific issues that this young church is having. And so given all of that, what's amazing is how much of this short little letter is dedicated to prayer. Paul has learned an important truth that we all should remember, that prayer is not our last resort, it is our first And so knowing that, Paul is not only going to pray for the Thessalonians in this letter, but he actually asks them for prayer in our text today. And this is all instructive for us because it not only reminds us that we should be praying, but it also teaches us how to pray. We can use Paul's prayer, not just here throughout the whole New Testament, we can use Paul's prayers as a model for our own prayers, and that's what we'll do this morning. We will see that we should pray for gospel victory in verses one and two, and that we should pray for gospel obedience in verses three to five. So pray for gospel victory and pray for gospel obedience. In verse one, Paul writes, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So this is Paul asking for prayer in his role as a missionary and as an apostle, and he says, he says pray for us because he's including Silas and Timothy, who are his companions, who also sent the letter, and, and maybe there are more people with him, but, but he's saying pray for us as we go on our mission. Remember that they have been traveling around the known world at this time. They've traveled around Asia, now they're traveling around Greece, and, and where they're going, they're proclaiming the word of God to these different cities that they come to. And what does Paul want to happen to that word? What is he saying? Pray for us that this word would speed ahead and be honored. I love this this language, this metaphor that he's using. And it's really language that he's pulling from other places in the Bible. In Psalm 147, 15, the psalmist writes, God sends his command throughout the earth and his word runs swiftly. His word runs swiftly. Or I think about what we looked at last week out of Isaiah 55, what Mr. G led us through, that God said his word goes out of his mouth and it accomplishes the purposes for which he sent it. God's word goes out and it does stuff. This is fulfilled most of all in Jesus. God's word that goes out from the Father, not the Father, but one with the Father. His word goes out, was made flesh, and accomplished all of the purposes for which God sent it, namely our salvation. And then that same word by the Holy Spirit through the church is continuing to go out into all of the corners of the earth to make disciples of all nations. And so God is praying for that word Paul is praying for that word to go out, to speed ahead 
and be honored. So I love this, that Paul's emphasis in his missionary evangelistic role is not on himself, it's on the word. He wants it to go out from him and he wants it to be received by the people whom he preaches it to. And then what he wants them to do is turn around and preach it to other people. And then for it to be received by those people and then those people would turn around and they would preach it to other people and it would be received and it would go so much faster than Paul could ever run. And it would go so much farther than Paul could ever go. That's his prayer that he wants the word to go out like that. And he asks the Thessalonians to join them in that prayer. He says, I want the same thing that happened to you to happen all over the world. You remember what happened to the, the Thessalonians, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that they heard the preached gospel and they received it for what it was. Not Paul's word, but the word of God. But then what did they do? Do you remember this? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8, he says that the gospel has rung out from you into all of the surrounding regions. It has rung out. It's a word that's like a trumpet blast. It has sounded forth into the surrounding regions from the Thessalonian church and says, Paul says, I want that to happen more. I want to happen, that, that to happen everywhere that I go. So pray for that. Pray for us. And church, we should pray for that. But not only that. So in verse two, he adds... And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. I think it's right to hear in that uh, an echo of the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember when Jesus taught us to pray? He says, Father, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Paul prays much the same thing. And actually in verse 3, he specifically speaks of the evil one. Here he asks that the Thessalonians would join in praying for their deliverance from wicked and evil men. Most people agree that when Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians, he was in a city called Corinth, which is in Greece. And he spent a lot of time in Corinth. He spent about two years in Corinth. And you can read about what that time was like in Acts chapter 18. Paul gets there. He proclaims the gospel. He actually gets an encouraging vision from the Lord that says, Paul, don't be afraid. Stay here. Keep preaching the gospel because I have many people here. There are many elect here who will hear the gospel and believe it. So stay here, work. Your work will be fruitful. Don't be afraid. And if you read Acts chapter 18, you will see that while he was there preaching that word, that mission started to be hindered by unbelieving Jews in the city of Corinth. Acts chapter 18 says that they opposed and reviled Paul's teaching. And so they actually grabbed Paul and they brought him to the the tribunal, to the government leader there, hoping that he would throw Paul in jail or some other way, use, use government force to prevent Paul from fulfilling that mission that he came there for. And when that didn't work, they just grabbed one of the Jewish converts, a prominent Jewish convert, and they beat him in public. So I think Paul has these men in mind when he asked the Thessalonians to pray that they would be delivered from wicked and evil men, but I wonder if it's not more than that. I wonder if this isn't what Paul has in mind in chapter two of Second Thessalonians when he's describing the mystery of lawlessness which is now at work. Or what John talks about in First John is the spirit of the Antichrist. Do you remember when we looked at this? About the government persecuting the free exercise of the proclamation of the gospel. And that coming alongside false teaching that would seek to shipwreck the faith of these young Christians. I think when Paul talks about 
being delivered from wicked and evil men, that's what he has in mind because he links it all to faith at the end of verse two. Do you see that? He says, not all have faith. I think he has in mind men who have been deceived by the evil one that are acting, whether or not they realize it, with with satanic influence behind them who is seeking to hinder the spread of the gospel. So Paul prays, in effect, deliver us from evil. And I think it was so good for me to notice as he's praying this and knowing what he has going on in Acts chapter 18 that he, he doesn't necessarily ask for deliverance from suffering. He's not asking that, that his suffering would cease. I'm always so amazed when I hear from Christians that, that serve in other parts of the world where the church is persecuted. And they ask for prayer. They never, they never ask for their suffering to stop. They ask for endurance in the midst of their suffering. They ask for more boldness to proclaim the gospel when they know that proclaiming the gospel might lead to more suffering. And they ask, like what Paul is, for more opportunities to preach the gospel. I think that's really what Paul is asking for. When he asks for deliverance from wicked men, he's asking that God would restrain these wicked men so that they would have more opportunities to freely preach the gospel. I think this is like what Paul prays in Colossians, that God would open to us a door for the word, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. God, open up a door. Pray that with us. And Paul's asking for that prayer when he's in jail. Just pray for more opportunities to preach the gospel. That's, that's the right perspective. But I think there's even more that we can learn about how to pray when Paul says pray for deliverance from wicked and evil men because, again, it's all rooted in those who do not have faith. Knowing what, what this mystery of lawless looks like, I think, I think what Paul is also asking for is that the church would be guarded from false teachers. When you learn about the issues facing the global church around the world, you will really come to appreciate how, how dangerous and how much of a threat to the gospel false teaching is and false teachers. You will hear about whole whole populations, whole, whole segments of the world where the church has almost been entirely compromised by men who have come in, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, and have led the church astray into heresy, into heresies like, like what we call syncretism, where they, they take the local religion and they kind of mingle it in with Christianity, and so it becomes some new kind of religion, but certainly not the faith once for all delivered to the saints, or you'll hear about whole continents, it seems like, that have just been given over to prosperity gospel, to a teaching that says the summation of the Christian faith is material blessing and health in this life, to false teaching brought in by wicked and evil men, or even in Paul's own day, the Judaizers, who would come in and and they would try to replace the true gospel with a false gospel of some kind of legalism that says it's up to your works, that's how you're saved. All of that, Paul would say, that's wickedness, and we need to pray that God would deliver the church from wicked men like that, because not all have faith, but God is faithful. Do you see that? I love how verse three starts. The Lord is faithful. So when you take all of this together, a really neat picture emerges because what Paul's doing with this language of the gospel speeding ahead and being honored, he's actually taking that from Olympic sporting events. It's a foot race. 
That's what he's describing. Actually, in Corinth, every two years, there was something like the Olympics called the Isthmian Games that were held. So Paul knows all about sprints and foot races. And what he's asking for is prayer that the word would be like a sprinter that runs out ahead and beats all of its competitors and is honored with a crown of victory at the finish line. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he wants the word to do. And so you ask, well, who's the gospel running against? Who are the gospel's competitors? It's all of those other false worldviews. And so we pray that the gospel would speed out ahead of Islam in Africa. We pray that the gospel would speed out ahead of Buddhism in Southeast Asia. We pray that the gospel would speed out ahead of secularism in our own country. We pray that the gospel would speed out ahead against syncretism and prosperity theology in the church. We pray that the gospel would speed out ahead and win. And how would it win? It would be honored by being received. Do you remember what Paul says about the Thessalonians? That they turned from idols to worship the true and living God. They said, Jesus deserves the crown. The gospel is what is to be believed, not these other false teachings and these false religions, but the true and the living God. Paul says, I want that to happen everywhere. Pray that that would happen everywhere. And Paul, Paul says it will. The Lord is faithful. This will happen. Again, what Mr. G taught us last week that God's word does accomplish the purposes for which he sends it out. And when you look in the book of Revelation and, and you see that vision of the future that God gives us of a church comprised of people from every tribe and every tongue and every people group and every nation, we see the gospel does win. The gospel does go out ahead and is honored to the ends of the earth. We know that it will win because the Lord is faithful and he will not let one of his elect be lost. And so this is kind of raises that tension again. This is what we looked at two weeks ago. Well, then why, wait, why do we pray if the Bible already tells us that it's going to happen? Why are we praying for something that's already done? G.K. Beale, when he, when he talks about this, he had a great illustration that really helped me with this. He says, if you've ever watched a foot race and there's somebody in the race that you're cheering for and they're in the middle of the heat, Well, you cheer for them. You try to spur them on. You say, come on, go faster, go faster, get out ahead. But then what happens when they do pull ahead? What happens when they they get a meter between them and the guy in second place, when there's two meters ahead, when they're four meters ahead, and it is absolutely certain that they are going to win the race? And you say, oh, good, I can stop cheering now. No, that's when you cheer the loudest, right? That's when you stand up and you start saying, yes, come on, all the way to the end. That's what we do when we pray for the gospel to spread to the nations all the way until that day. So so church, we need to pray for this. We need to pray this prayer. Paul is giving us a command. Pray for us. And of course, we don't don't pray for Paul. His race is done, right? But we pray for our missionaries in Africa, some of whom are here right now. We pray for our Gospel partners in Guatemala. We pray for the people doing the work on the reservation. We, we pray for the church everywhere. And we, and we need to. 
We need to because this is the mission that God has called us to. This is the work that we are here for. What Ron read from Second Peter, the only reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet is there's more work to do. There are more people to be saved. And so what else do we have to do but be a part of that work of salvation and pray? Pray that it would happen. And you need to be intentional about this. You need to come up with a way that's gonna help you obey this command of praying for the nations. Okay, I already mentioned this a few weeks ago, but this is, this is a book that my family and I have decided to use. It's called Operation World. And it just lists alphabetically all of the countries in the world. And then it gives you things that you can be praying for, for the work of the gospel in that country. And look at how big this is. It's awesome. And so we just work through this letter by letter. Every night we just say a little prayer. It could even be this prayer. Maybe it's a 15, 30 second prayer but to pray for these different countries. And as I said, we bought, we bought a little globe so that we could go around and see the places. I've known other families that have put a world map up on their wall in the kitchen. And just right before they pray, while they're praying for their food at dinner, they just, they just mark off countries on there. I think about William Carey, the father of modern missions. And before he went out as a missionary, he was a shoemaker. And this was, gosh, I don't know, centuries ago. And he, and he made a little globe out of scrap leather so that while he was working on shoes, he could just pray for all of the countries on this globe that he made. Because he knew how important this work was. And you don't have to do that. Google a list of all of the countries and just pray for those countries. I mean, write it, I don't know what it takes, but do something because we need to pray. This work cannot be done without God's help. God is the one that makes this happen. This is all Paul's train of thought in this prayer is coming out of the end of chapter two, that it is God, God who chooses from the beginning. It is God who calls by his Holy Spirit through his word. It is God who saves. And so because it is God, we pray. We pray for the church around the world and we pray for our own church. So up until this point, verses one and two, Paul has been asking for prayer. In verse three, he shifts to start praying for the Thessalonians. But this is neat, the beginning of verse three, the Lord is faithful, that's kind of like a bridge that overlaps with both of these sections. So it concludes his prayer for the gospel to spread at speed ahead and be victorious. He says it will happen because the Lord is faithful. And then as he shifts to prayers for gospel obedience, even that, he says, you will be obedient because the Lord is faithful. So he starts in verse three to pray for gospel obedience. And I think verse three is so cool because if you remember this in 2.15, chapter 2.15, Paul gives another command of the Thessalonians, stand firm. And then in 2.17, he prays. And he prays, may God establish your hearts. So establish and stand firm are actually, they have the same root. So he's being repetitious. So it's like he's saying, Thessalonians, be established. Now let's pray that God would establish you. And then look at what he says in chapter three, verse three. The Lord is faithful, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Because these are God's elect, they are beloved by the Lord, chosen from the beginning. And so he says, stand firm, God help them stand firm, I know you'll help them stand firm. And so he says in verse four, we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. I think this is a setup, actually, for where he's going. Again, starting in verse 6, what we'll look at next week, he's going to address 
a really serious issue in the church that there are people that are not working, they are mooching off of other members of the church, they are burdening the church, and so Paul is going to correct them. He is going to give them a command to quit it. And he's even going to rebuke them and say that you should discipline these members if they will not obey our commands. So that's where he's going. That's where we're going to get in verse six. But what does he do before he starts correcting them? He prays. Because prayer is not our last resort. It is the first. There's a really good piece of advice that uh, I heard from a counselor a while ago. And he said he would have... Uh, he would have people come to him with an issue that somebody else was having, okay? So they, w- they would come usually to somebody in their house, and they would have the issue pegged, right? And they would come to him, and they'd say, look, my wife is very short-tempered, or my husband is very inconsiderate, or my children are lazy. And they would come to him, and they would share uh, that issue with him, and they were basically asking, how do I address that with them? And he would always say the same thing. He says, you know what? For the next month, don't do anything different except pray once every day that God would help them see that issue and that God would correct that issue in them. Just pray for them. And I always thought that that was such good advice. One, that was a really good piece of advice because it usually helped that person cool off and realize that the issue that they were having such a problem with was not such a big issue. And maybe the issue was actually something to do with them much more than it was with this other person. And so usually by the end of the month, they didn't even feel like it was necessary to say anything. But if there really was an issue, that advice just helps us remember that we are not the Holy Spirit. By submitting to prayer and handing even this person's obedience over to the Lord, we are acknowledging what our job is and what God's job is. Do you know what I mean when I say you're not the Holy Spirit? It is not your job to go out and convict someone of their sin. It is not your job to go out and give directions for how they change their behavior. It is not your job to try and change their heart. You cannot do that. That is God's job. And so when we pray, what we're praying is the same thing that that Paul is doing. God, if they are really yours, then I know that you can cause them to obey your commands. I know that you can sanctify them. I know that you can work by your word to conform them more into the image of your son. So God, would you please do that? And when we do that, we're handing them over to the Lord and saying, God, this is your child. And you will work on them in your time and through your ways. And you know what? His ways might be you correcting them. This is not to say that we shouldn't correct them. Paul is about to correct them. But he starts with praying. He starts with that acknowledgement that they are God's and it is God who works on hearts. And prayer is not the last resort, it's the first. So he prays this amazing little prayer in verse five. May the Lord direct your hearts. May the Lord, the Holy Spirit, direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's such a good prayer. Aren't you? I'm so glad for good prayer language in the Bible because there are so many mornings where I wake up and I'm tired and I don't know what to pray for somebody. And I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can just pray this. I can pray this. I could have a whole list of people and just pray these words over and over again. The fact that it's the same words, the fact that it's short does not make it an any less effective prayer. 
okay? Sometimes somebody, that's just your hang-up, is you need to realize your prayers don't have to be long or good, and the best thing you can do is just pray God's word back to him, and you will have built-in prayer language, and so we just pray this, pray this for people. This is what Paul prays for the church. May the Lord direct their hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Now, there's actually a question about what that means. I don't know if you think about this, okay, but what does the love of God mean? Does that mean God's love for us? Or does that mean our love for God? In Greek, it actually goes either way, just like it does in English. It could be either one. You've kind of got to make a decision. It's the same with the steadfastness of Christ. Is that talking about Christ's steadfastness, his endurance, his faithfulness on my behalf? Or is it talking about me being steadfast like Jesus is? What is Paul asking God to direct our hearts to? I think Paul is just being intentionally broad here. I think Paul just wants all of it. Because what is the love of God? That God the Father was so committed to his people, his church, whom he chose and loved in Christ before the foundations of the world, that in time he sent his one and only son to be our savior, to die for us, so that we could be brought into his family and have all of his blessings, all of his love poured out on us for eternity. What is the love of God but that God the Son, who was in his very nature God, gave up what was by rights his, did not hold on to what was his, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. He was born in human flesh and he lived obediently to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we might live forever. What is the love of God but that God the Holy Spirit would come near to us even though we hated God, even though we were his enemies. He came near to us and he loved us and he worked on our hearts and he helped us hear and understand how much God loves us so that we would repent and turn and believe and experience all of his blessings and to receive spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit and to be sealed and guaranteed with an unfading hope that no matter what happens in this life, we will get to live with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the love of God. Have you directed your heart to that love? Have you really tuned your heart to sing that grace like in the song that we sing? Have you, have you really come to understand how much God loves you? And have you loved God back? Have you believed? This is, this is the gospel. This love of God. This is the gospel. The same gospel that Paul wants to spread throughout the whole world and be received. Have you received this as better than any competitor? As better than anything else that you can believe? Have you believed this that God loves you like that. Paul prays that you would. I pray that, that you would. And if you believe that, 
If you love God like that, what Paul, I think, is also praying is then that you would love others with the love of God, that God would direct your hearts to love others like God, that we would be a community of people that obeys God's commands, which is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we would be directed to the love of God and be more and more loving people, and then that we would never get tired of it. I think that's the other thing he's praying for, the steadfastness of Christ. This is amazing. Because Christ was perfectly faithful. That whole time that he lived his life, it was in perfect obedience to the Father, even though he was tempted, even though he was opposed, he never wavered from his faithfulness. Hebrews 12 says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He had endurance on the cross for joy. And what was the joy? You were. After the cross, he got you. And so for that joy, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now, Hebrews says, he's seated at the right hand of God where he is still faithful on our behalf. He's praying for you constantly. He's upholding you by his spirit. He's steadfast for us. And so Paul is praying too that God would direct us to that same kind of steadfastness towards one another. That we would be committed in love. That we would be enduring suffering for one another and for the sake of the gospel. And that we wouldn't waver from our faith that we would be just like Jesus was. That we would be faithful. That's his prayer. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? I wish you would pray that for me. I wish you would pray that for your children. I wish that you would pray that for your elders. I wish that you would pray that for pastors serving in other countries. And to close, you know, there's lots of other ways I could wrap this up, but I just think the best thing to do is just pray. You know what? I don't need to keep talking anymore. Let's pray. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray back through these words. Settle in, this is going to be a little bit longer than normal. But what if this is the best thing that we can do, is pray. So pray with me. Lord, you are faithful. You are. And even when we were, were faithless, when we didn't have faith, you were still faithful. Thank you. You do love us with a love that we can't even comprehend. And, and that love is so steadfast. So, so because you are faithful, because you do love us, because you are steadfast, we know that we can pray to you and that you will hear us and you, that you will even use our prayers to accomplish your sovereign will that you decreed before the foundations of the earth. God, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. To God, as we're, as we're coming out of a week where we've been thinking more about missions, Lord, we still pray. We pray for our, our partners, God. We pray for the G's and the C's and their whole team in Africa, God. We, we pray for the safe travels of the G's as they return home. We pray that you would open up doors for them to get back. And God, we pray that you would, you would uphold their team, that you would give them stamina and unity and joy to keep on serving in this place that's, that's hard, Lord, where so many have not heard the gospel. God, we pray that you would open doors there.
We pray that you would cause the word to speed ahead and be honored, be received there, God. We pray that you would give them opportunities to preach the word and that you would even lead them in your good purposes to your elect and that they would get the joy and the privilege of being the ones that that present the gospel to them. God, we, we pray that you would work by your spirit to cause sinners to turn to you from idols, from the idols of Islam. They would worship you, the living and the true God. Lord, you are faithful. And we pray the same for our gospel partners in Guatemala. Thank you for the the money that was raised by our church to build these wells, and we pray that you would use that act of love, the love of God, to, to lead people, to draw people to yourself. What kind of people would would give their money and their resources and their time. People that have been given so much. God, we, we pray that you would build up the church in Guatemala. You would build them up in knowledge and in faithfulness so that they would be guarded against wicked and evil men. God, would you continue to train pastors who can rightly handle the word of truth, who can defend against prosperity theology, who can defend against syncretism. God, would you cause the gospel to ring out like a trumpet from Guatemala into El Salvador and into Honduras and into Belize and into Mexico. God, you are faithful. Lord, we pray, we pray this for our brothers and sisters on the reservations. We pray this for the campus, the University of New Mexico. We pray for the International District of Albuquerque. We pray this for our own neighborhoods. We pray that from our own church, you would cause the gospel to speed ahead and be honored. That we would preach it, that it would be received, and that you would be glorified because we know that you will. We know that you have already ransomed for yourself on the cross a people from every tribe and tongue and people group and nation. So God, until that day that we see that fulfilled, that vision fulfilled, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, direct our hearts to know and understand more deeply how much you love us and how steadfastly you care for us in Christ. God, help our church to love one another with the same love that you've loved us. Help us to be just as faithful and steadfast as Jesus was, Lord, and to endure for the joy set before us until that day when we go to be with you or you come to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond. And together go to Jesus, our strength, our shield, and our steadfast Savior.
we can always run to Jesus. He is faithful. We can run to him in prayer. We can run to him for salvation. If you have not run to Jesus, I pray, I pray that you would hear about God's love and that God would direct your hearts to that and you would run to him. There's nothing that you can do, have done, will do that would separate you from the love of Jesus. So if you have questions about what it means, what does it mean to really, to really put my faith in Jesus, to be, be like those Thessalonians that received the word as it was, how do I do that? How do I, how do I say, get saved? We would love to talk to you about that. If you're here right now and you have a question about that, you can go out in our courtyard. One of our pastors will be out there. He'd love to pray with you. He'd love to talk to you, answer any questions that you have. If you're here and, and you're still with, living with your parents, ask your parents. Say, Mom and Dad, I want to run to Jesus. What, do, what does that mean? How do I do that? I pray that you would. I pray that you wouldn't walk away from here without, without receiving that truth or getting your questions answered. If you have had your heart directed to the love of God, I've been thinking about, even, even this morning, how good it is to pray along with these songs as an expression of our love to God when I can't express it through singing. We just recorded a podcast that's going to come out this, uh, this coming week that's, that's more things that you can do when you can't sing. How do we express our love for God and our love for one another in this Sunday morning service when we're all together? So I'd commend that to you. Check that out. And as you go, brothers and sisters from our text, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Amen.